Welcome to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Hmm. So, is the enemy of my enemy my friend? Or the enemy of my friend the enemy? Or the enemy of my enemy of my enemy? The enemy of my enemy is my enemy. Glad you got that straightened out. Yes. The enemy of my enemy is my enemy. But who is the enemy of your enemy of your enemy? Well, the enemy of my enemy of my friend is the enemy of my friend of the enemy. What if your enemy has an enema? Okay, so that's not going to be the only Batman comparison we've had to this movie. This movie <laughs> needs an enema. You know what? This movie is the result of 89 Batman getting an enema. That's the logical logical conclusion. Here we are talking about what the movie is, and we haven't even introduced the movie. So <laughs> let me shut up now. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. On tonight's episode, as Matt alluded to, we are reviewing, well, sort of alluded to, we are reviewing the 1990 action-adventure film Dick Tracy, starring Warren Beatty and Madonna, directed by Warren Beatty. This is a spoiler podcast, so if you've never seen this movie and don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie, and then come back. You can stay tuned until the end of the episode where we reveal what our next movie will be so you can follow along with us. If you would like to get in touch with us or give us your take on a movie, email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. I also thought of a uh, jingle if you can't spell cinemamenpodcast. Oh no, here we go. C-I-N-E-M-A-M-E-N podcast <laughs> there we go there's our new theme there's a theme that's our new theme <laughs> a new theme let me try that c-i-n-e-m-a-m-e-n podcast <laughs> i already forgot it maybe it's not as catchy as we hoped but i only heard it once no it's it's not catchy at all if you'd like to support us monetarily and have the means to do so, you can go to anchor.fm. Hey, hey, I got to jump in here. You're, okay. you're talking about financial support. I want you listeners to hear this because I know you have before if you've heard any other episode. You ready? Ready. That was me readjusting my chair. That squeak <laughs> is this horrible chair that I've got. Please. Help me get a new chair. Support us. <laughs> yeah. So help Matt out. I mean, look at the guy. He needs a new chair. <laughs> My back. Oh, <laughs> it's so squeaky. I can't change positions without everyone listening, knowing. So you can send all your chair money to anchor.fm slash cinema men podcast slash support. We use the money to improve the quality of Matt's chair. So in advance, thank you very much. Now that would that would in turn make the podcast better because our poor listeners yeah. wouldn't have to hear this squeak all the time. That's true. Maybe maybe if I just it. get a little bit, I could just get some WD forty. That might do the trick. <laughs> yeah, that's like, <laughs> yeah, that's like five bucks. That's all you need. <clears throat> hey, if you like video, we offer that too. Go to YouTube and search for the Cinema Men Podcast. We record live every other Tuesday at approximately 8.30 p.m. Central Time. Subscribe to our channel and you can figure out when we when we go live every single time. Because it's kind of confusing when I say every other Tuesday. All right. One more thing. 
We have started releasing a short form series every other week that we don't release the Cinema Men podcast. We call it Cineminis. These are 30 minutes or less episodes where we talk about just random stuff. We just did one on obscure Disney animated movies, and we did one on actors with that we think have the most range. So check those out. They're terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're they're raw. <laughs> but as we're note, getting better. We do those raw. We don't edit them. So what you hear yep. is pretty much what you're going to see on the live stream. So that's kind of yep. weird that you're going to hear what you see, but you know what I mean? Yeah, we'll get better with those. All right, let's get started with Dick Tracy. Let's do it. synopsis from imdb.com for dick tracy the comic strip detective finds his life vastly complicated when breathless mahoney makes advances toward him while he is trying to battle big boy caprice's united mom mob now, just to make sure that i'm understanding this right breathless mahoney is from the police academy movies right yeah okay mahoney i imagine the first one when he's getting in shape and running and all yeah. that. Yeah. This podcast is a living entity. And because of that, it evolves over time. And what we've done in the past with reviews is we've tried giving our, uh, our review respectively separately up front and then doing a detailed review. We've tried doing a hot take where we do like a shorter review and then we do the detailed review. Um, but we decided that we needed to change it again because we didn't like the way it was it was flowing. So what we're going to do this time and maybe going forward is we're going to break down the movie into its parts. So we're just right from the beginning. We're going to talk about the acting as a category. Then we'll talk about the plot, then the cinematography and it go, so on and so forth. And we're thinking that will spur more conversation and it'll make it flow better. And then at the end, we'll do our star ratings and give our overall thoughts on the movie. The first thing we're going to talk about is the acting of Dick Tracy. Was the acting just phenomenal? You know, I think my, uh, I think my gangster name would be squeaky chair. Anyway, squeaks McGee. Um, the acting was, Okay. Uh, I don't think anybody was great in this, um, which is amazing to me because the cast is one of the most stacked casts I have ever seen in a movie. 
Uh, and that's no joke. Um, let me let me just read off a couple people in this cast because it's insane. Uh, you've yeah. got, of course, Warren Beatty. You know, it's a given. Uh, playing Dick Tracy. But then you've got uh, who, who are some of the folks in this? Madonna, obviously, playing Breathless Mahoney. You've got Al Pacino playing Big Boy. You've got Dustin Hoffman playing Mumbles. Um, you've got uh, Paul Servino in it as Lips, James Caan. Uh, Kathy Bates is in this. Catherine O'Hara is in this. Um, Tom Finnegan. It, Dick Van Dyke I gotta be on- is in this. Yeah. I got to be honest, I did not notice Kathy Bates or Catherine O'Hara in this movie. They both had small parts. You, I, we, yeah. like when I was watching it, I was very closely looking for Catherine O'Hara and I never saw her. So she's, she's yeah. in the background, probably with a lot of makeup on. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, all that to say the cast is freaking stacked, man. I mean, have you mm-hmm. ever seen a movie this stacked? Probably, but not this stacked and this subtle. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, we didn't notice Kathy Bates. We didn't notice Catherine O'Hara. I barely noticed James Caan. I kind of did a double take. I was like, is that James Caan? Just actor after actor after actor. And I'm sure it was just due to the fact that Warren Beatty is, was a, I mean, even then he was a longtime veteran actor. He probably had a lot of contacts, a lot of connections. And he was like, hey, you want to be in the movie? Sure. But. So you you thought the acting was okay? I thought it was very meh. Uh, nobody yeah. had an outstanding performance to me. Like nothing that I saw was like, wow, that's really good. Um, hmm. You know, it wasn't bad. I don't think anybody was bad either. I just I didn't think anybody was good. Al Pacino in particular, not not his best work, and that's rare for me to say about Mr. Pacino. But he was just kind of. I don't know. It didn't work. And it may have been that his performance was fine, but Al Pacino in that kind of cartoony gangster role didn't work for me with his weird body proportions and the makeup and everything. Maybe that's what threw me off. But I wasn't I wasn't even impressed by Pacino in this. I I mean, he did okay, but nothing that I was like, whoa, that's good. I had a different thought on that. Uh, I actually liked him a lot in this. He's probably the standout performance for sure. Uh, Warren Beatty is just kind of this. It reminded me a lot of like Waterworld, which we just reviewed, like Kevin Costner's role in that was very hard nosed, stoic, not emotional. And Warren Beatty had a little bit more emotion in this, uh, but he was very much this tough guy. You know he's always going to do the right thing, uh, always follow the law, <clears throat> and you see a little bit of emotion from him when he's interacting with the kid and uh, Tess, his his love of, of his life. But <clears throat> he was he definitely played the more uh, noir nineteen thirties detective role, which this is based off of a <clears throat> comic book strip so, or a comic strip, so that makes sense, I guess. I mean, watching this makes um, me think uh, Warren Beatty might have been a pretty good mariner in Waterworld yeah. <laughs> with the lack of emotion we see over the, yeah. the course of the movie. And the dude, the dude was 54 or 55 when he did this movie. I think he's one of those actors that just ages really, really slowly. Yeah, he looks I, good. I saw him 
a picture of him in 2001, he looked the same as he did in 1990. Mm. And he was 10 years older. Um, and he's still kicking today. He's 84. Uh, well, he's the legend. He's a legend, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Al Pacino, though, like, I remember watching this as a kid and I didn't know who Al Pacino was. And I thought that's what he looked like. Like, humpback, arched over, like, kind of penguining oh, around and <laughs> ugly. Like, <laughs> I had no idea. Um, and that that's a testament to the makeup. But we'll and we'll get to that. But I just like how he he brought a lot of energy like he does in a lot of his roles to to the character. That's true. I would imagine a lot of it was improvised. <laughs> um, if I had to guess, um, he he was definitely the standout performance. And you know, while while Everybody, we're talking about Pacino, yeah, I've got to bring up the scene where he takes over the club Ritz, and he's he's working with the girls trying to get them to dance. What? Yeah. How crazy was that scene? More, more. And then he, he starts slapping girls on the rear end. <laughs> You know, he's all being goofy yeah. and dancing, but then they're like, it's 2 a.m. The girls are tired. And then he goes off and he's like, I'll, I'll mangle that pretty face just like I'll yeah. mangle that piano player's hands. Just like, OK. Which some of the other cast members were good, too. Madonna was surprisingly good. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of forgot that she was she was in Hollywood for a little bit. Like, I forgot that she was in A League of Their Own and, and this movie and um. She did an okay job. She for, really, yeah. She was good. She might, well, she was good for a non-actor. She was good. Yeah. Yep. Compared to all the other performances, like it, it, it didn't just stick out like a sore thumb or anything like that. She, she did okay. Uh, but also, I mean, the the way the 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 plot and the whole all that stuff that kind of drove the dialogue and and what the actors had to how they had to act. And a lot of it was just very much this, uh, yeah, 1930s dialogue. This, uh, not very, uh, <laughs> not very exciting, uh, necessarily. Yeah. It, it, I definitely feel like they were kind of stuck, you know, in, in, into the writing, into the script. Like, I'm sure they could improv some, but th- this movie exists in this kind of weird space where it's like, Who's this for? You know, is this mm-hmm. a movie for grownups? Is this a movie for kids? Like, you know, I want to say it was a movie targeted at children. Mm-hmm. But th- th- there's straight nudity in this film. Like, just yeah. straight up, you see Madonna's boobs in this movie. And when that yeah. happened, I was just like, what? <laughs> so... And it's got some darker themes, like people get killed. There's gunfights and shootouts, and uh, it's just it's, this movie exists in a weird space. Uh, I did want to mention Charlie Corsmo, who played the kid. Mm-hmm. He was a really good child actor. I do want to give him props <laughs> for for his performance. Yeah, I agree with um, that. He did good. Yeah, which I, I tend to be uh, really lenient with child actors. But he did do a good job. Yeah, he's better than most, I would say. Like he had moments, you know, where when he's eating all the food, and there's this montage of it with him eating food, and when do we eat? Mm-hmm. When do we eat? <laughs> and uh, he's uh, trying to be like Dick Tracy and trying to follow him tag along, and it, it was good. I, 
I liked his his performance of this kind of orphan. So yeah, over, overall for me, man, the acting is like a solid five. You know, like it wasn't good, it wasn't bad, it just kind of was. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't guess I have much else to say there. Nobody There's really no, stood uh, out. No standout performance for you. Well, I mean, I have a spice of word for best actor, and, and to me, that was the standout performance. Um, okay. But we if I if I say it that. now, then you'll know my spice award winner. <laughs> All right. So moving on to plot, this should be interesting. Um, I personally thought the plot was poopy. Um, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot uh, there. It was mainly just a bunch of uh, montages, and then. Dick Tracy trying to catch Big Boy Caprice. Big Boy Caprice uh, kind of dodging Dick Tracy. And then Tess gets captured. Dick Tracy has to save her. The end, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got uh, Breathless Mahoney, who was played by by Madonna. And she has this uh, big, big, big crush on Dick Tracy. To the point where she's doing whatever she can to to get him, but also to take down Big Boy Caprice. Um, it was just a very light, not not a whole lot of depth to it, not a whole lot of twists and turns. Like there's one big twist in the movie, um, and it was hard for me to see it as a twist because I've seen it several times. I've seen the movie several times, so I knew what was going to happen. Uh, but what did you think about the plot? So, you know, I didn't like, I don't like the plot. I, I felt like it was lacking. I felt like the pacing was weird. Um, I, I had, there were points in the movies where I, or the movie where I had trouble get, staying engaged with it. Um, my attention would get drawn in for a while and then it would, it would pan out and then I would kind of zone out a little bit. And in fact, I had to watch the second half of the movie twice because in the in the second half, I was kind of zoning <laughs> out a little bit. So I wanted to make sure okay. I, I saw it all and gave it a fair shake. Um, and I got to thinking about, you know, what's the issue? Like, why, do, why does it feel like this? Because, you know, on face value, it's not a terrible plot. Um, in fact, and this is something I'm sure we're going to talk about. It's very similar to one of our favorite movies on the podcast. That being. Uh, Waterworld. No, 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 not Waterworld. <laughs> oh, you mean our other favorite? Because I know you know it. That Batman. That's right. It's very similar to uh, the Batman movie with Michael Keaton that we reviewed. Um, you know, you've got a, the yeah. main character is a superhero detective whose girlfriend gets captured by a guy who takes over the mob and is starting to take over the city. Uh, they. Uh, you know, they wind up, you know, fighting in kind of a clock tower and they both wind up falling to their death. The main villains, um, it's it's almost the same plot. Um, yeah. Although, if you'll remember in that episode, I mentioned on the plot that it was OK. It was just kind of standard Batman fare. You know, Batman fights the Joker mm-hmm. uh, in this. It's it's kind of the same thing. You know. You got the. Uh, Batman and the Joker. You got Dick Tracy and Big Boy. But here's the problem. And and it took me a while to figure this out. But going into this, 
1989. You know, how familiar were you with the character Dick Tracy and the villains that he had? Uh, zero. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it was a popular comic book in the 30s. Most people knew the name Dick Tracy. And if you saw a guy in a yellow coat, you were like, Dick Tracy. But that's about the extent of it. With Batman, it's a different story. Everybody knows Batman. Everybody knows the Joker. And mm -hmm. so what this movie did was it threw us right into the film, expecting us to know all this stuff. We're supposed to know who Dick Tracy is. We're supposed to know, you know, who Big Boy is, who Flat Top is, who Lips. Like, we're supposed to recognize these names, and nobody does. And so just getting thrown into the action like that feels a little bit jarring. You know, especially mm -hmm. nowadays when we're used to, you know, big character introductions, origin stories, things like that. We don't have anything like that. And yeah. I, I think that and, throws us off. Oh, for sure. And even to your point, like, we know who the Joker is, so we know a lot about who the Joker is before we even get into the movie, like you said. But <laughs> the Dick Tracy movie gives zero crap about developing the stories around Flattop or Mumbles or any of these other characters. Even Big Boy, like he's just a he's just a gangster. Right. Like, why is he um, the big boss? He he just is. Okay. He wants it more. He's the big boss. Fine. Nobody knows why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but since we're talking about the Batman comparisons here, we might as well continue on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just the plot. It's mm -hmm. the feel of the movie, the music in the movie. The There's a point. The fir very first time Dick Tracy speaks, he's in a uh, play. He's watching a play. Mm -hmm. and. He goes, he gets a call on his wristwatch and he whispers, I'm on my way. And it sounds just like Batman. Like, I don't yeah. know if that was intentional, but I immediately, before that, they did a big <clears throat> hand shot of this painted backdrop. And I was like, this is Batman. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's too, it's too eerily similar. Well, and, and you know, like you said, the visual styles are similar. Now, I, I would say that Dick Tracy actually went a little crazier with the visual style. And I think they oh, did sure. better, honestly, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But um, the visual styles are still kind of similar. Lots of muted colors with like blue lights gliding things up. The difference being Dick Tracy, and we'll get into this, but Dick Tracy has a lot of bright colors used all, through, all throughout the film, uh, which you don't have with Batman. Both of them have painted backdrops, although... You know, that's like saying these are you more apparent. Jaws had a shark in it. You know what yeah. I mean? It, the the backdrops in this movie are some, we'll get into that too. But there's some of the most amazing things I've I've seen in movies. Um, but uh, to kick it all off, you've got Danny Elfman who did the soundtrack for both films, and they're really similar, like mm -hmm. really similar. If you Say you'd never heard all of the Batman soundtrack. You just had heard the like the Batman theme song. I could play you and say, this is the Batman soundtrack. I could play you th like, <laughs> you know, three Batman songs and three Dick Tracy songs, and you wouldn't notice a difference. You'd think they were mm -hmm. all Batman songs. Um, they're that similar. And so that doesn't that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. I wonder what was going through Danny Elfman's head when he was. They were like, okay, you got to do Batman. 
And now you got to do Dick Tracy. If he was like, hmm, I can recycle some music here. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he was just really <laughs> overworked and was like, I'm just going to, here, I'll change this from yeah. an A to a G and there we go. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, okay, let's get to the good parts of this movie, which yep. is the art direction and cinematography. Okay. Um. For certain, this is the best part of the movie, um, as you mentioned already. The use of of bright colors, like immediately when they showed Dick Tracy in his yellow uh, raincoat against the red wall in his apartment, mm-hmm. like that that that's unique. That's something yeah. you don't see every day. I, I don't <clears throat> remember ever seeing anything like it before and yeah. to this day i don't i don't think i've ever seen anything where almost every scene you've got these muted colors that kind of dominate but then in the background in almost every single shot you'll find at least one thing that is just bright and like red or green or blue or yellow um yeah. and it just it just shoots at you sometimes they do it with the lighting too it's not always objects sometimes like uh, there's a scene when uh they're they're going over like i think it's when big boy Right before the end, when uh, he's trying to get over that bridge and he's like, jump, you can make it. And he's like, jump. no, no, we can't make, make it. it. <laughs> We're not going to make it. <laughs> but there's this red light flooding the street and it is just bright, bright red. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, in some ways it's a little off putting, but at the same time, it's really like it's really uh, visionary, I think. And it's really artistic and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I can think of some things that have followed this, but not in the same way. Uh, things that were probably influenced by this movie, and that would be like Sin City or 300 movies that kind of take the comic book route and do a sh- you know panel by panel replication of a comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what this movie was trying to go for, I think, was use those four colors that comic books and comic stri- strips used. Uh, back in the day, they only had so many colors to work with, and so everything was real bright and single colored, not very much uh, gradient. And mm-hmm. uh, for sure, that's I feel like that's what they were going for. And uh, it's not a movie, but I've been going through the 1960s Batman TV show, and once again, that <laughs> that reminded me of of Batman. Just the 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 costumes, which we'll talk about in a second, but uh and the colors for sure something something i want to bring up here um just to be clear for everyone listening um batman and dick tracy were both in production at the same time um batman came out first i think in 89 and this Mm -hmm. came out in 90 however Mm -hmm. in terms of production uh dick tracy wrapped a month before batman did so so these Mm -hmm. movies were made at the same time and and so this isn't a case of Dick Tracy said that we're going to copy Batman. We're going to do what they're doing because they're a success. This is legit. This is a coincidence that these movies are so similar, with the exception of, of Danny Elfman being the composer. Yeah. Which is really pretty crazy because both of those movies mm-hmm. are, are real visionary and really kind of changed the game in a lot of ways. But only one made it to where it became like this big franchise. It's true. Uh, and obviously for for reasons that we just described, like it's Batman. And now, now on no. that note too, this movie 
has been like they've been talking about sequel to Dick Tracy for years. And yeah. uh, I don't want to get into too many details here while we're talking about art direction, but um, there's the rights battle there. There was at least between the, the, the studio that owned it. Uh, I want to say it was Walt Disney Films. Is that right? I know in the, sure. in the credits, that's not what it says, but I, I read something. It doesn't matter. Whoever owned the rights uh, had them. And then Warren Beatty got them. And there was a big dispute over who had the rights to the movie. And as a result, that's why we haven't seen anything else with Dick Tracy. So it, it's possible that this could have been a franchise and it just got tied up in uh, legal battles. Well, you, even the movie, the 1990 movie, like, I think it took a decade for them to find a director and a, a way to make this movie. Like Steven Spielberg was rumored to be attached at some point and uh, Jonathan Landis and all these directors. And finally Warren Beatty got the rights to it and he ended up going with it. But it's just, <laughs> it, it could also be something like that where even if they do have the rights, it just takes a long time to hash out getting the right people to and the right script to make a, a thing. Yeah. But anyway, we're, we're going off on tangent here back to art direction. So me personally, with the use of the bold colors, it, I, I liked it, but I think it was a little overdone. Like literally every shot has something like that. And, and there were some parts of the film where I was just like, okay, this is, I'm not digging this, but I thought it was cool. I respect them for doing it. And I would love to see more stuff like it, even though, you know, it wasn't my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. How, how did you feel specifically about the, the bold color usage? I thought it was great as one of the most striking parts of the movie. Um, and it kept me interested and engaged in the movie um, because a lot of the rest of the movie is not great. So um, all, all I can really rely on is uh, the, the color scheme the camera work and the makeup. So moving forward then from the bold color usage, I want to talk mm -hmm. about the backdrops because we'd be doing a yes. criminal disservice if we didn't specifically talk about these backdrops. These backdrops are some of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like they're hand painted backdrops all mm -hmm. over the place. They look gorgeous. Some of them are animated. Um, it really makes you feel like you're in this other world. You know, and mm -hmm. combined with the color thing, even though that wasn't my favorite, I thought it did an amazing job of creating this kind of fantasy comic world that, that the, the movie was taking place in. Um, there are scenes, uh, most notably, I can think of one of the early scenes where Dick Tracy finds Kid, tracks him back home and finds that this guy that he's been living with, um, you know, won't let him eat because he, all he was able to steal was a guy's pocket watch. And Dick Tracy shows up and just beats the tar out of the guy. And you see the shack rocking back and forth and it's set in the center <laughs> of painted backdrops, like surrounding it in like a 3D way. And it yeah. looked so cool. Uh, <laughs> it, it looked something just like straight out of a comic book to me. Like just it was kind of cartoony and silly, but it looked awesome. And, and that mm -hmm. continues throughout this entire film. Um, hands down, my favorite part of this movie are all of these awesome backdrops uh i just oh man i loved it i wish we'd see more of it yeah i i i really liked them i liked the way they were made and i thought they were amazingly done uh they looked beautiful but 
they were clearly fake. Like, well, they were supposed to be clearly fake, though. Were they? Yeah, that was the point. (laughs) They're supposed to look painted and drawn because you're in a comic book. I see. I guess I I didn't get that part of it. Like, I was expecting like it to me. It looked outdated because it looked so fake, and I was comparing every single moment of this movie to Batman. And Batman used back painted backdrops, but it didn't look as fake. And so I was, I was like, oh, this isn't as good as Batman. <laughs> so. No, they were, they were totally doing that on purpose. Like, like the fireworks at the end, for example, they're like animated dots on a painted backdrop. And like, that's entirely, it's entirely on purpose, I think, mm-hmm. because it, it makes you feel like you're in a comic book. Sure. That's, that's a, that's probably true. I don't um, know. I, that was hands down. That was my favorite part of this film were all those yeah. amazing backdrops. They were really well done. If you're, uh, if you're watching the video, I've actually got a few of them down on the, the little image looper. You can see some of them there. All right. Uh, camera work. So, okay. Camera work is interesting. And this is a good mm-hmm. segue because we're moving from the backdrops to the camera work. Now, John, do you know what using backdrops means for the camera? It means you can't move the camera because you're you're you you have to keep the entire painting in frame. You can maybe move like centimeters or inches, but you can't really move. Mm -hmm. That means that this movie is almost (laughs) it is almost entirely still shots. The camera hardly ever moves in this movie. It's all set shots with the can't with the characters moving, but the camera just anchored in place. That's true. There wasn't any shaky cam or any of that stuff. No pans. Nothing. There were zooms, zooms, and whatever unzoom is. What do you call it? Unzoom. I guess just the zooms. <laughs> uh, but no, no pans. No, no movement of the camera. It, all the action is the the people on the camera or the objects on the camera. Yeah. Now this is where I can get behind it being like a comic book, like. It's still camera. Absolutely. In order to replicate a comic book panel. Yes. Um, and that I got. Uh, I just didn't. For some reason, I didn't connect the dots with the, the backdrops. But um, well, uh, you may be yeah. right. It, it could be that the still camera was for that effect also. Because, um, you know, not every not every single scene has a painted backdrop on it. Just some of the big ones sure. that are zoomed out. But, um, I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, yeah. I didn't even think about the fact that it was framing like comic book panels but it it really is and that makes me even more like impressed by this yeah i I can just think of several scenes where the camera like there's a shot where it's and it's a silly moment but dick tracy literally punches four guys out at the same time and the camera's behind them and he punches them out and they fall off the the viewable area and he's just standing there you know all heroic and stuff Mm mm-hmm uh, that was a great moment. The moment you were talking about with on the drop on the bridge that's with the red light. Mm-hmm. That was a great shot. It was like the camera was down below the bridge shooting up at them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of great camera shots and angles. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, cinematography was really good, too. Um, you know, telling a story and not being able to move the camera. It's something you don't see a lot of anymore, you know. And I thought they oh, did yeah. a great job with it in terms of, you know, setting up scenes and, and the artisticness and all of that. 
for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. The The camera nowadays is a lot more dynamic. It's kind of trying to track the person or, or become a part of of the movie, whereas this is just a, a camera on a tripod, probably. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to visual effects, which I think is another section that this movie excels in. Yeah. Um, but what do you what do you think about the CG, the makeup, costumes? So in terms of CG, as far as I can tell, there's really not any. No, there were there every were everything really. is practical effects. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's pretty cool to see. You don't see that anymore either. <laughs> um, so that was that was cool. Uh, the, the effects were pretty good, I thought. Um, the the costumes, you know, they were mob costumes, so they were fairly uh, straightforward. You know, you got lots of suits and trench coats and, and flapper dresses and things like that. Um, but where this really shines is the makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the best makeup I've ever seen. Honestly, it's uh, it's grotesque. Like these these mobsters and, and some of the regular guys, uh, like they just look weird. Um, but they do it well, in my opinion. Um, in particular, uh, flat top, flat top looked incredible yeah. to me. Uh, <laughs> absolutely incredible. There there were lots that did, but he he took the cake for me. Yeah, when you can when you can take a person like as well known as Dustin Hoffman and put him in makeup and you're not really sure if that's him. Like, and and we did, they did that, that with several A-list actors, like no idea who those people were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you see who they were, then you're like, Oh, but I mean, it was phenomenal how they were able to, to make those people look so drastically different. Uh, to the point where they're unrecognizable. Um, pretty good stuff. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> and so I always liked. Good. I was just going to say, like, it's some of the best makeup I've ever seen. Period. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing. I really liked how. So the, the theme, I, I believe, is like the bad guys, not all of them, but if you're a bad guy, you're disfigured in some way. Generally. Um, yeah. Generally. I think 88 keys was an exception. Oh, you're saying he didn't have a, he didn't have disfigurement. He looked normal. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. There are a few exceptions to that. I think it was mainly the, the more notable gang members like 88 keys. He wasn't a gang member at, from the beginning. He was just a piano player. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of got in with a uh, breathless and big you mean, boy. You mean no face. <laughs> right. Which by the uh, way, ooh. Head slap moment, absolute head slap (laughs) moment. Now it's obvious to me why No Face chose 88 Keys to be her liaison to Big Boy. Uh Because that's the guy she knew the best. She was with the piano player all the time. I I literally, that just now clicked with me. (laughs) But I do want to note also, this movie did win three Oscars, um, one of which was Best Makeup. So it did win oh, the yeah. Oscar in 1990 for best makeup as well. As should have. So. Yeah, there there's a review. I briefly perused the review of some that someone else wrote and they were like someone that I respect. And they were like, I've never seen makeup that good to this day. Like, yeah. And that's that's saying something. 
yeah. with all all the advances we've got ahead and everything. So now there's a question for you. If Dick Tracy was made today, mm-hmm. would that all be CG or would you think they'd go the makeup route? I don't know. Cause <sighs> I think it'd be hard. CG would be hard to do at that level because faces, I think yeah. in particular are really hard for CG. So it might've been makeup. Yeah. yeah and they still use makeup quite frequently today. It would be mainly for a lot of body work or stuff, something like that. Yeah. Although they, cats, the most recent uh, cats yeah, adaptation, that was CG. They use CG everywhere, including their face. Yeah. So, although that, I don't know that that turned out very well. But so yeah, uh, just to just to summarize and go back a little bit, um, art direction so far and visual effects, creme creme de la creme. Right, this movie's yeah. top top Grim marks Dilla, for both of those. Yeah. Um, plot and acting, yeah, yeah, kind of kind of average for those. Yeah, but art and visual, freaking, it's great. Yeah, worth worth watching this movie for. Absolutely. Okay, score. I think this is another high point. Yeah. Even though it's a clone of Batman. This is Danny Elfman doing his Danny Elfman thing. Yeah, I mean, if you like the Batman soundtrack, you're going to like this soundtrack. I, I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's a clone, but man, it's so similar. It's so it's really close. similar. Like, I wasn't joking earlier. I could play you a Batman song and I could play you a Dick Tracy song and you probably wouldn't be able to know which is which. In fact, yeah. John, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? I'll, I'll try to remember. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> here is clip number one. Okay, you got that in your head? Now, here comes clip number two. Now, viewers, tell us which clip you think was Batman and which clip you think was Dick Tracy. I will yeah. put the answer in Twitter. Um, we'll do it uh, like, I don't know, like two or three days after the uh, this podcast goes live on in podcast form. Or email us. <laughs> or email us. C-I-E-C-I-N-E-M-A-M-E-M podcast <laughs> it might need a little work but I, i'm i'm yeah. digging it i'm digging it <laughs> anyway that was dumb um it's it's all good yeah it's the, all good dumb is what we do <laughs> but I, 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 I agree with you uh the, the soundtrack is good yeah. it, it is extremely I, similar to batman but i yeah. like the batman soundtrack I, I like this one yeah i don't fault him for like if he even thought for a moment, like, hey, I can kind of recycle this or reuse this. Uh, that's fine because he's he does great work. I mean, I have no problem with it, and it worked great in both movies. Like, it's the the sound that he came up with suits the 
crime ridden city, dark, you know, littered with dirt kind of those those that it just works. Uh but also uh Madonna had some good uh yeah. singing parts sure. in this that we should probably mention. Um I think she, she had, had a few two songs or was it three? Two or three songs. Uh they were all Steven Sondheim uh mm-hmm. written music. <clears throat> and one of them I think won something. It won, won a uh, best of... original song. It won an Oscar for there we go. original song. And yeah, they were great. And Madonna is a talented artist. I mean And she uh for sure. here's a fun fact for you. She performed that song at that Oscar show. And nice. I'm I'm certain you can find that clip on YouTube if you look for it. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked it up, but I'm certain it's out there somewhere. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about before we get to star ratings? I want to talk about Dick Tracy's obsession with chili. <laughs> I'm glad you thought remembered this. Yeah. Every time so, Dick Tracy eats in this movie, which is a lot yeah. of times, he eats chili. Now, John Murphy over here, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but he is our resident expert on Dick Tracy, lore and Cannon. And uh, so he's going to let us all know why Dick Tracy only eats chili. I'll tell you, Matt. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that I noticed this. Um. It's probably very noticeable because the very first time he's eating chili, he's about to interrogate uh, Mumbles, I think. And there's a can of chili and it just says chili. And it's red, a red mm-hmm. can with white letters. He's eating it right out and of the can. His, he's got his spoon in it. He's eating it. And you're like, well, that's weird. But surely no, they won't. No. Why would you eat this chili right before interrogation? <laughs> this is it. Uh, but no, he then goes... Several times he's at the restaurant uh, diner talking to Tess. He's eating chili. And they don't mention it specifically, but if you look when he's when he pulls up his spoon, it's always chili. Every time yep. he eats, it's chili. <laughs> so I was like, surely there's a reason why they decided to incorporate chili so much into this movie. And I looked. I mean, I did as good a work as I know how to do searching the internet and there was no mention of why he likes chili and maybe maybe the comic strip it's a nod to the comic strip and he liked Dick Tracy and the the comic strip like chili maybe the guy that created him liked chili (laughs) and so it was a homage to the guy that created Dick Tracy I have no clue. If you're listening to this and you know the answer to this question, please let us know. I, I looked as well. Uh, we have no idea. But it's such an odd fact. And it's such like, like that's too weird to not be there for a reason. Yeah. Just, so if anybody knows that reason, let us know. Um, I might I might actually have to go back and watch this with the director's commentary on just to see if I can find. Ah. Maybe they mention it there. I, Maybe. I, I really want to know. Yeah. If, if you I find out, anyone I'll, I'll you put know. it on Twitter so y'all can <laughs> know too. I'm, I'm really, yeah. that's driving me crazy. Why? Oh, we may have to get hold of Warren Beatty. The, the <laughs> okay. only other things I have are silly. Like 
like you know when the the guy plants the bug and he's in the attic of the criminal hideout he's up there mm-hmm. for like weeks does he just live in that attic like how does he get food because <laughs> the way like I, at first i thought they just planted a bug and that guy was at the police station or something listening but no he was literally in their attic and you know he gets caught because he spills a cup of coffee and it leaks and where did he get the coffee from has he literally <laughs> been hiding in their attic for weeks how, what does he how does he go what does he go home i don't know i assumed I, he kind of rotated like, like how he, does he sneak in there all the time how does he sneak out know. like they had to do a raid just to get him in there like i, yeah. I Maybe he brought a bunch of food with him in a coffee machine. I don't know. His name was Bug Bailey, by the way. It's a great name. He also <laughs> looked a lot like John C. Riley to me. I, speaking of that, I thought Flat Top was John C. Riley until I thought until I read the cast list. <laughs> not John C. Riley. Yeah, no, he's not in this movie. Okay, star ratings. So if it's not abundantly clear, um. I didn't like the acting or the plot. Um, I've established on previous episodes of this podcast that I, I'm really susceptible to plot. If the plot's good and everything else is bad, I'll tend to like the movie anyway. If the plot's bad and everything else is good, I'll tend to not really like the movie that much. Um, this is not much of an exception here. Uh, I, I really didn't like the movie that much. Um, I'm not going to say I didn't like it, because I, uh, you know, it was okay, but I didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> no, sir. Um, I don't like it. It's it's fun to watch, just but it's fun to watch because of the visuals. It's not fun to watch because of the plot or, or the action, of which there's hardly any, honestly, other than these two weird musical montages. Um. That said, the visual effects and the art direction on this are great. Um, we're not talking Carrie or um, The Shining great. We're not, we're not Kubrick levels here, but they're still great. Um, they're definitely on par with Batman. And uh, I gave them high praise in Batman. So um, that, that definitely keeps it from being a low score. But I didn't like it either, so I got to keep it somewhere in the middle. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm going to come in with this at a six. Um, I would give it a five, but no kidding. The art direction and the cinematography and, and the effects and everything were so good that I just I couldn't give it a five. So I'm going to come in with a six. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a bad movie. Um, I watched this movie as a kid quite a bit. Um, enough that I dreamed and pretended that I wanted one of those watch communicators. Oh, I uh, think that every kid had. did. Every <laughs> kid wanted that watch. I had one of those uh, Seiko uh, pad watches or pad watches with the number pad on them. You had a calculator watch? Yeah, like Casio. Oh, you nerd. Anyway, I would pretend <laughs> that that was a communicator watch and I'd press the side and I'd talk into it. Um, so this movie has definitely has nostalgia for me. It's a movie that I grew up watching. And that communicator, like, we now have the, those, by the way. We have Apple Watches and smartwatches that allow you to basically talk to one of the... You one can, another I mean, you can straight watch. make phone calls with them. They're, they're amazing. Yeah. So, very uh, ahead of its time uh, with regard to that. 
this movie is basically Batman. Um, I think Batman was better produced, but Dick Tracy has more interesting characters and it's a lot more unique with regards to the color palette and the uh, camera work that it was doing. There's a lot of vision in this movie. You you cannot deny that. Uh, The colors just pop and I really like that about it. I, I like the idea of the bad guys having weird names, weird nicknames and weird faces. The makeup is on top notch. The movie is pretty cut and dry as far as who is good and who is bad. The only really ambiguous character is is breathless. Um, I thought the acting was better than Matt thought it was. I think Al Pacino definitely steals the show. Um, Warren Beatty, again, he very little emotion. He did fine. <laughs> um, yeah, he, there just wasn't a lot of acting. Yeah. I found him entertaining. Uh, but yeah, he just didn't have... He he wasn't going for that. Just like, and we kind of knocked Waterworld for Kevin Costner's performance, but that's what he was trying to do, and that's what Warren Beatty was trying to do. Like, I don't think he was misrepresenting his character. Like, he was doing exactly what he wanted to do. Um, Madonna wasn't bad. She's a very decent actor, and then just a a slew of A-listers all throughout this movie. But you wouldn't know it because they're all covered in makeup. Uh, the score is awesome. Very Batman-like. <laughs> uh, and then the plot is just, it's real campy. Um, there's not a lot to the plot. A lot of montages, which I'm not a, against a lot of mod- montages. I like best of the best, after all. Um, but <laughs> it just... <clears throat> We didn't get a lot in between those montages that mm-hmm. like there was no connection to the characters. No, uh, nothing like that. Um, the timeline in the plot, like I, I didn't even mention this, but one moment Dick Tracy is like, we need to take down big boy, make it happen. And the very next scene, he's raiding the club Ritz and take <laughs> trying to take down big boy. It's like something we missed something in between there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so overall, I thought this was a decent movie. It it feels like a clone of Batman just because of when it was made and the feelings it evokes. Uh, but it has some interesting ideas and visually it's pretty great. So I'm going to give it seven out of ten. There you have it. Six and a seven. Six and a seven. All right. Time for some Spice Awards. Spice Awards. We have four categories. Four categories. Four categories. We have four categories. Best actor, most underrated performance, favorite scene, and favorite disfigured gangster. That's a lot of categories. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's so funny. Categories. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a running gag. <laughs> Categorgles. <clears throat> okay, man. Best actor. What okay. was your pick? So I mentioned, um, I didn't want to mention, that's weird to say. I mentioned that I didn't want to mention uh, who yeah. I felt was the standout actor in this movie because I gave them this award. Uh, to me, this was an mm-hmm. easy choice. 
uh, and I think it might surprise you. Are you ready for this? I guess. To me, the best actor in this movie was Glenn Headley, who played Tess Trueheart. Nobody's going to put big boy Caprice behind bars sitting behind a desk. Teresa, you said you were going to take a day off tomorrow. Hmm? Hmm? Come on. Tracy, did you say you were going to... Hey, hey, kid. What's your hurry? Where are you going? Stop him! Take it easy. Hey, stop! Huh? He stole my watch! Hey, kid. Stop that boy! Hey, hey, kid! Stop that boy! Come here. Did you steal this man's watch? I felt like her okay. performance was earnest and solid and great from start to finish. She huh. was she was hands down to me. I say that every podcast. I'm going to I'm going to try to go a podcast without saying hands down, but hands up. She was hands down the best actor or actress, whatever the term is. Um in this movie to me. I thought her performance was just awesome. I thought she did amazing. Hmm. Okay. And, and you know, I thought going up against the names in this movie, like freaking, you know, I want to yeah. see her in more stuff. I, I don't think she's done a ton of work. Um, at least not compared to some of the other names in this cast, but man, she nailed this movie. Yeah. She's right. Re- she's recognizable to me. Like I, I know I've seen her in other things, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I think she did a decent job. Um, she was definitely good at. She just wasn't. She wasn't the damsel in distress. Like she wasn't the just uh, feminine kind of character. She she had some rough edges. She was tough as nails. Uh, she could, and she had to be because she was Dick Tracy's love interest so i guess she had to be tough because she was married uh dating a cop <laughs> but yeah that was a good pick she's done a she's done a lot of tv which is probably why i, I don't know a bunch of stuff she's been in i, I don't watch a whole lot of tv uh, she was in lonesome dove in uh, 1989 oh, yeah. she was in mr oh. holland's opus she was in an episode ah. of frazier she did some er episodes um, she did some voice work and some cartoons. She was in Monk for a while. Um, yeah, the, most recently, it looks like uh, she was in Future Man. Um, and she, okay. her last movie was something called Making Babies in 2018. Uh, I picked Al Pacino as Big Boy Caprice. territory is my territory now everyone who worked for him is working for me everything he owned i own let's get out of here cover that truck door i think i don't know i guess i just gravitate towards the insane characters Mm -hmm. because i find them interesting (laughs) and entertaining and so uh, he he was crazy energetic. He was loud. He was mean. He was transformative visually. Like, it doesn't look like Al Pacino. I mean, a little bit, I guess. But, um, but he's just super entertaining. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, he turns this turns that villain into one of the best things about the movie, acting wise. Gotta love yep. him. It just didn't work for me in this movie, but um, you know, to each their own. All right, best actor Matt's pick was Glenn Headley. Headley, Headley. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, I think it's Headley. As Tess Headley. Headley. Headley Lamar. Headley. 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 <laughs> Uh, as Tess Trueheart, and my pick was Al Pacino as Big Boy Caprice. Most underrated performance, Matt. Another easy choice for me. Okay, uh, it's got I'm to be. In this. It's got to be William Forsyth who played Flat Top. There's the phone. Be my guest. Make a note, Pat. They waived their right to a phone call. Right, Tracy. Hey, copper. Maybe you want to look before you leap, huh? We got rights. Take the bad men away. They scare me. Up, up, up. Out of here. Yeah, well, we got rights too, you know. Your story walk. Yeah. around, Tracy. Yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. I got uh, You kind of alluded to that. He didn't have a lot of speaking roles other than just kind of like, or growls <laughs> or grumbles. But, um, you know, between his face and that makeup that he wore, he was the only mobster in this movie that I found actually terrifying. Uh, he he was scary, man. Like the, the way he would glare and sneer and just kind of look around with that with that big prosthetic head on. Like, um, I mean, easily he was the scariest one. Uh, he was the meanest looking one. Uh, every time he was on screen, I was looking at flat top. Wow, every time. Uh, I've mm-hmm. I've got to give it to him. He didn't really. He wasn't a consideration for me necessarily, but I I get where you're coming from, and yeah, he was terrifying. Um, I went with Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles. <laughs> Where's Lips Manless? Hmm? Where's Lips Manless? Baby. Okay, you heard him, Mrs. Green. That's his testimony. Okay, boys, get him out of here. Is what? I just, there's something about his, <laughs> the way he does his thing that makes me <laughs> laugh uh, you know, and smile. Like, watching him play that. You have to think he had a lot of fun doing that role. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, you want some water mumbles? Glass of nice, cool water. (laughs) He's like (laughs) sweating it. Yeah, that's a good choice. He sort of uh, he sort of brought back his uh, Rain Man. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, he probably has like five minutes of screen time, but he makes full use of it for sure. Um, you notice he's, kinda, he's uh, he, there's a lot of scenes where he's kind of creeping around in the background. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? For mm-hmm. a while, I thought he was going to turn coat on Caprice and like he was spying yeah. and getting information, but that's not how it turned out. But yeah, that was a little confusing because. After he had the interrogation with Dick Tracy, that's when he started sneaking around. So I thought he was a rat 
And like in um, particular, that scene where Caprice gathers all the mobsters and is like, I'm taking over. I'm chairman of the board. And y'all are the board members. He's got a great ass. I'm sorry. I can't talk <laughs> about movie. Pacino and not say that line. Um, you see Mumbles there and he's kind of looking shifty. Like he's kind of peeking in and seeing what's going on. And I thought that was uh, like, that's when they start kind of alluding to maybe Mumbles is up to something. Yeah. But it went nowhere. I guess he's just the guy that's in the background that knows. He's kind of like, uh, you know, how they always get the accountant. Mm-hmm. And the accountant has all the information, but they're not really involved. They're just cooking the books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of you kind of feel sorry for his character. But at the same time, I was laughing um, just the way he kind of delivers his lines. And, and I stuff. mean, you find out, too, that the mumbling he does is an act or at least he can turn right. it off when he wants to. He can turn it off. Yeah. When he gets when he gets cornered, he, he comes clean and he starts talking normally to uh, Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. Matt's pick for most underrated performance was William Forsyth as Flattop. And my pick was Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles. Favorite scene? My first two were super easy. This one went the other direction. And maybe not for the reason you think. I, I had a hard time picking a favorite scene, period. Just because none of them were my favorite scene. You know, it wasn't that I had three that were like, oh, these are the best. There's none of them were my favorite scene. I considered a couple uh, and I I basically just came up with one that I thought was a little bit better than the other ones. But for the most part, I was kind of didn't have a favorite scene at all. Um, for me, it I guess I'm if I have to pick, I'm going to go with the scene where the mobsters are meeting with Big Boy. I'm on the board of directors. I'm chairman of the board. Why you? Because I have a vision. A big boss must have a vision. We got a town with thousands of small stores and businesses. People who are working real hard. I think they should be working real hard for us. Because we are for the people. And if you ain't for the people, you can't buy the people. Lincoln. We will become the people's silent partner. Every time some citizen buys a pound of hamburger, we get a nickel. Every time some guy gets a haircut, we get a dime. We'll dress like bankers. Join the Rotary Club. Together. Uh, And and he's saying, you know, I'm chairman of the board. Uh, That was fun just because, you know, it was kind of tense. Um, you've got Big Boy and you see all of the other big names all gathered around the table and they're all kind of having their huddle and there's lots of color and there's lots of makeup. And it was uh, it was just it was a fun scene to watch. You got Mumbles in the background creeping around. You've got uh, Tess who and it was kind of confusing because Tess was like Dick Tracy was no Dick Tracy was following Breathless, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow Dick Tracy yeah. wounds up you know, at this meeting, climbing the outside of it. And he's yep. for some reason shimmying on the roof and they're like, Dick Tracy, you don't have a warrant. You can't do that. And uh, what if you get caught? And he comes up to this window just as flat top starts peering out the window. And then this guy who decides he's not with big boys car blows up and kills him. And then every gangster goes to the window and they're like, Oh, Tracy's like inches away. Like, Oh no. 
just that that whole scene, I enjoyed that. So really hard choice, but that's the one I went for. Yeah, no, that's a good one. And I hate to bring it up once again, but Batman 89. Mm-hmm. When the Joker has the meeting with the gang members yep. and the one guy is like, ah, and then he makes him or fries him with his little buzzer mm-hmm. hand. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It's a, just, it's a car bomb with this one. <laughs> so crazy. And yeah, they even do uh-huh. a little thing where they're like, oh, it's OK. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. And then they kill him. They do that in both yep. movies. Glad you're dead. <laughs> Yeah, I, I sort of had the same problem that you did. There aren't. There's not a just a memorable scene. <laughs> you know, I also I really liked the scene where Dick Tracy fights the kids guy who's denying him food. I mentioned that, that earlier in the, in the scenes rocking like the, sh- the shack mm-hmm. is rocking back and forth because Dick Tracy's pounding him into walls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that scene a lot, too. Mm hmm. It was it was definitely between those two, but still, I, you know, like you're saying, it just wasn't a favorite scene. So I went with it's it's a it's several scenes, I guess, but the sequence where Dick Tracy is trying to save Tess. Got to figure a way out of here, Pat. Tracy, are you okay? Got my diamonds. Got my yacht. Got a guy I adore. I'm so happy with what I got. I want more. No way out of this place. You can't find a trap door, or a panel that moves or something? I'm looking, Pat. The ceiling must be 20 feet high. What are you doing down there? Tracy, what are you doing down there? And it kind of switches back and forth between Madonna singing her song and uh, Dick Tracy trying to break in and save Tess. It's a funny moment because they're on top of a roof, him and one of his detectives, and they see Tess down there. And so Dick Tracy decides it's a good idea to jump through the window, crash through the window, a la Batman. Uh, so he does so. But then big boy Caprice uh, carries Tess out of that room and locks Dick Tracy in. So he's stuck. Mm-hmm. So he thinks, what is the best way to get out of here? And so he starts writing on a piece of paper uh, mathematical equations. <laughs> Hey, how much do you weigh? Uh, about 190, 195. Uh, okay, 210. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, so he tries to figure out how big his detective partner weighs, and they make like a little seesaw. And the other detective jumps on top of it, shooting Dick Tracy out of the top uh, other window, and he's out. But the other guy's stuck now. But they don't care about that, I guess. But mm-hmm. anyway, that was uh, an interesting scene, at, at least. I liked the way it kind of switched back and forth between the music and what he was doing. Yeah. And that scene, that one scene made me laugh. So <laughs> that that's what that's all I could come up with. Favorite scene? 
for Matt, it's when uh, the gang members and Big Boy are having the meeting in the boardroom. For me, it was uh, the sequence where Dick Tracy's trying to save Tess. Mm. Final category, favorite disfigured gangster. Another easy one for me. Okay. Little face. (laughs) He was so absurd. But at the same time, so visually interesting that like I didn't even have to think about it. Ah, instantly knew who it was. Yeah, he's only in the movie that, for like thirty seconds. Two, if that. <laughs> but man, that was an amazing. That's probably why because the makeup was so dang hard. He was in my in my top list for sure. Um, but I went with Prune Face from a visual perspective. Uh, he has one of the more striking faces and he basically just looked like a, like, uh, at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they start, or maybe, uh, no, last, uh, last crusade when he drinks from the wrong cup. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of looks like that. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of mummified. It was really good makeup. And he was, uh, he was a prominent figure in the movie. So, Mm -hmm. uh. I I liked it. John. Hey, Matt. I'm about to do something unprecedented in the history of the Cinema Men podcast. We are a living entity. Go for it's it. It's time for a surprise spice award. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no prep. <laughs> no prep. <laughs> no notes. No nothing. Pull up your IMDb cast list because you're going to need it for this. Uh-oh. Okay. We need to be sponsored by IMDb, by the way. But... <laughs> Are you ready for this? Uh, I'll work on that. Go ahead. Favorite mobster name. Oh, okay. For me, mm. while you're thinking about it, because I've got mine. Okay. okay. It's uh, 88 Keys. That's a good one. He wasn't my favorite mobster by any means, but that's such a cool name. I mean, come on. He's the piano player and his name is 88 Keys because he's the piano player. It's just a cool name. <laughs> It's a really cool name. So uh, I got to give it to him for that. That was uh, Mandy Pat Hanikin. Mandy Patinkin. 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 Mandy Mm -hmm. Patinkin. That's what we're going with. Like you're spitting into a spittoon. Mandy Patinkin. (laughs) Mandy, you had the best character name in the game, in the the movie. (laughs) I was trying to make it rhyme there, but it didn't work out. I'm no rapper, John. My hip hop days are behind me. But at least you had it hip hop days. For me, it's 88. 88 keys. Coolest name. Okay. What about you? It's got to be Big Boy Caprice, right? No. Because <laughs> he wears short so, pants yeah. all the time. <laughs> Lives in Europe. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, You really just put me on the spot. Like you I know. Picked out. I know. <laughs> I did it on purpose. Um, I probably I like lips manless <laughs> lips or lips had the worst fate in the movie. Yeah. Horrible face. Yeah. Face only a mother would love. But um, and ugh, when he would eat oysters, that that was really bad. Oh, yeah, it was awful. But that's a good it's a good name, like a little alliteration there. Lips manless played by Paul Sorvino, by the way. Yeah. A legendary gangster. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Sorry to spring that on you like that, but uh, that was the point. That's all right. That's why I didn't handle the surprise category. I wanted to see how you performed under pressure. Favorite gang member name. Matt's pick was uh, 88 Keys, who was played by Mandy Patinkin. And my pick was Lips Manless, who was played by Paul Sorvino. Hey, Matt. Hold on. Oh. John. Oh, yes. we, did, we didn't have a favorite quote category this this time. No, we didn't. And you know what you're doing? You, you're what? you're depriving the people of your impeccable uh, <laughs> imitation skills. Oh, you want me to do a a quote? You don't have to do a quote. Just just give me some kind of impression. Give me give me a Pacino. All right, that's enough. <laughs> I want him dead. Both of them. I want no face character dead. I want Tracy dead. What's the matter? You bums forgot how to kill people. <laughs> Don't you mean anything to it? <laughs> Have you no sense of pride in what you do? No sense of duty. No sense of destiny. I'm looking for generals. What do I got? Foot soldiers. I want Dick Tracy dead. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, you're uh, you're spot on with your mumbles impression. <laughs> Well done, sir, and thank you for being a good sport. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Did you know? Danny Elfman was hired to compose the film score because Warren Beatty was impressed with his work on Batman. On working with Beatty, Elfman said that Warren was insane. Earlier, um, when this movie was kind of in pre-production and they were setting everything up, uh, there was a different director looked at for this film. That was none other than Tim Burton. Mm. So uh, we could have made this even more of a Batman movie. Uh, However, Tim Burton, uh, he turned it down. Because he was already at that point working on Edward Scissorhands. This is the highest grossing Warren Beatty film ever. It grossed $162 million at the box office on a $46 million budget. No surprise with with how much they advertised this movie. We Mm. haven't really mentioned that, but uh, John and I were both kids, I think, when this was in the theaters. And you couldn't throw a rock without seeing something with Dick Tracy on it. It was everywhere. Uh, here's a fun one. The, the producers of this film really wanted to get, uh, at this point, former president Ronald Reagan to play Pruneface. However, Warren Beatty said no. How crazy would that have been if Ronald Reagan was Pruneface? That would have been, been crazy. Um, it would have been amazing. I don't think he did any acting after his presidential terms. Oh no, no, he did not. How, how that would have been so cool if he returned just for this movie. That'd have been awesome. Al Pacino has stated in interviews that he enjoyed working on the movie, saying that Warren Beatty made a wonderful artistic film, even though now it's like it doesn't even exist. Alluding to the notion that it is a movie that is barely talked about after all these years, which is true. So we mentioned Catherine O'Hare is in this movie. Uh, She has her role is more of a cameo than anything else. She's just kind of a background character. 
Um, I wasn't able to spot her, but if you have a sharper ride than me, maybe you can. Um, but um, related to that, originally, um, Macaulay Culkin was uh, considered heavily to play the kid in this movie. Um, <laughs> he wound up turning the role down. So they actually offered it to him, but he said, uh, no, thank you. Uh, the reason he decided not to do this movie was because he was um, agreeing to do another movie at that time. Batman. Movie... No, no, it wasn't Batman. It wasn't Batman. <laughs> uh, instead of Harvey, though, there was a Harry. <laughs> <laughs> that was Home Alone. Uh, so a good choice for, for Mr. Culkin in that regard. Dustin Hoff- Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman wore a bald cap and wig. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman wins the categorical. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I'm a categorical. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman wore a bald cap and wig, rubber eyelids, rubber lips, and a rubber chin to play mumbles. When he was in the makeup chair having his makeup applied, he used that time to practice his lines for his role as Shylock in the London and Broadway productions of The Merchant of Venice. Interesting. John Caglione Jr., the makeup artist, commented about Hoffman in an interview to Entertainment Weekly. We had a real drama class. He was riotous. So I've had some confusion. I think I even mentioned it earlier in this podcast, but I felt like this was released by Walt Disney Pictures. Uh, It wasn't. But originally, it was set to be released by them. Hmm. Um, in the in the teaser trailer, if you watch the teaser tra- teaser trailer, um, they have the logo for Walt Disney Pictures in that te- teaser trailer, and maybe that's where hmm. I got this from. I, I honestly don't know, but um, ultimately, it w- it went on to Touchstone Pictures, but. Um, Disney owned Touchstone Pictures. So in a way it was still Disney, but they didn't want to market it under the Disney name uh, because of some fairly obvious adult content. Um, not, uh, you know, the least of which were Madonna's bare breasts. To be fair, covered by a very sheer dress. Yeah, but you could see them. Like there was no question. <laughs> it, it left absolutely yeah. nothing to the imagination. That's right. Uh, this is pretty self-evident, but the gangster's boardroom scene that was Matt's favorite uh, scene mm-hmm. features an on-screen reunion between Al Pacino and James Caan, who played the Corleone brothers in The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. Maybe, maybe my subconscious was remembering that and bringing that scene up for me. Uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey. That's a name you know and love, I'm sure. He uh, he wrote an autobiography, and in that uh, he mentioned that he was nearly cast in the role of Mumbles because of his voice. They thought it would be interesting to have him uh, in his unique voice in that role. He said that he was uh, it was crazy to him that he and Dustin Hoffman were being considered for the same role. Created in 1931, Big Boy Caprice was based on real-life mobster Al Capone. Interestingly, interestingly, uh, Big Boy's actor played the t- titular role in Scarface, which was a remake of 
Scarface, the 1932 version, a movie loosely based on Capone's life and using the gangster's nickname. Uh, one of the big, biggest names in this movie, uh, maybe not in terms of acting prowess, but in terms of sheer fame, is Madonna. Huge name. Huge, huge name at the one of the she was like super famous at this point, maybe maybe a little past her prime in terms of her popularity, but still super popular at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, She made. For her acting role in this film, which made millions and millions of dollars, she was paid thirty five thousand dollars. Didn't she didn't she get points, though, also? Points? Yeah. I don't know what you mean by points. So you can either take a paycheck or you can oh, get I points. See, see, which are, like, like, uh, uh, you get a rev- percentage, percentage of the revenue. Yeah. Uh, that I don't know. Um, the, the fact that I am reading is just that she was paid 35000 Now, gotcha. I do know that at the time this movie was being made, she was dating Warren Beatty. They were an item at this point in time. Uh-huh. And so the, the low salary could be accounted for that way. This could have been a favor for her man. But um, uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know about the points thing. Guess who was considered to play Breathless Mahoney? Gilda Radner. <laughs> I think she was dead at that point. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kim Basinger. Oh, are you serious? Who played Vicky Vale in Batman? Oh my gosh, it just gets worse and worse. But also Michelle Pfeiffer, who played Catwoman in Batman (laughs) Returns. And Sharon Stone. Also, Jack Nicholson was considered for Big Boy Caprice. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That is not true. However, Matt, you jest. But apparently Robert De Niro and Jack Nicholson were offered the role of Dick Tracy. Mm Hmm. Of course they were. Um, So we didn't mention this in the podcast, but there's also some kind of similarities between this movie and a a Disney movie called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, There's some very distinct kind of visual style connections that seems to kind of link the two movies. They're not actually connected, but um, one kind of uh, what's the word I'm thinking of kind of makes you think of the other one, I guess. Right. Inspires the other one. That's not right. But you know what I mean? An interesting fact to go along with that is that when this movie premiered, there was a short film that played in front of it in the movie theater. And that was Roller Coaster Rabbit. Is that the short that they played in the movie where he's in the kitchen with baby Herman? Or is that Um, a different thing? I I think it's different, but it was a Roger Rabbit short. Um, It's it's one where uh, baby Herman kind of wanders around through an amusement park and Roger Rabbit's Ah. trying to uh, keep him from getting hurt. (laughs) That's a movie we're going to have to review. Yeah, I agree. That would be a good one. Just uh, forgive me if I skip past the shoe scene. Aw. I understand why. Traumatic. I understand why. (laughs) My poor sister. I watched that with my little sister who was two years younger than me. We saw it in the theater. She broke down crying for two hours after the movie was over. I can because see of that shoe. Dustin Hoffman and Charlie Cosmo both appeared in Hook. Charlie Cosmo played the kid. Dustin Hoffman played Mumbles in this movie. So this movie has another kind of weird connection. 
And that is to the movie Misery, which came out in 1990. Uh, Warren Beatty uh, seriously considered being in that movie. And he also seriously considered directing that movie, although he would wind up doing neither. Uh, That fact aside, Misery stars James Hahn (laughs) and Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates was in this movie but it was kind of a cameo role, but they were still both in this movie. So we mentioned this movie was based on a comic strip and that comic strip uh, was created by, I think his name was Charlie Gould and it was first published in the Chicago Tribune Tribune on in October of 1931. The original name for Dick Tracy was going to be plain clothes Tracy, <laughs> but the publisher decided to change the name or suggested that the name get changed to Dick Tracy. It's a good change. <laughs> a good, good change. change. Uh, so we mentioned the colors, the, the use of bold colors in this movie. Um, the reason for that, obviously, is, is we kind of established already, was to put you kind of in the comic book mindset. However, um, those colors, there's six of them that appear throughout the film, these bold, bright colors. And those colors are red, blue, yellow, green, orange, purple, black, and white. And the reason they use those colors specifically is because those are the six colors that the strip was originally printed in when it would run in the the Sunday papers and be in color or in the comic books. That is going to be our episode for tonight. Join us in two weeks when we will review the 1986 action film Top Gun. Starring Tom Cruise. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to the Cinema Men Podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Head on over to cinemamenpodcast.com. Check out new and old episodes. We always love to hear from listeners, so if you have a suggestion or just want to give us your take on a movie, feel free to email us at feedback at c-i-n-e-m-a-m-e-n podcast.com. Uh, or check us out on time. Twitter. Much Check better. us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamempod. Thanks for listening. Once upon a time I had plenty of nothing, which was fine with me because I had rhythm, music, love, the sun, the stars, and the moon above had the clear blue sky and the deep blue sea. That was when the best things in life were free. Then time went by and now I get plenty of plenty. Which is fine with me, cause I still got love, I still got rhythm But look at what I got to go with them Who could ask for anything more, I hear you query Who could ask for anything more, well let me take